A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When I was a teenager, my family did not go to church, except for those grandparents who took me with them occasionally. And yet, I was fascinated with Jesus and God and faith. So I got myself a Bible and I decided to read it. And I underlined and I highlighted, you know, like I heard that you do. I memorized verses. I especially as a teenager loved the verse to remove the plank from your own eye before trying to remove the splinter from your neighbors about judgment. I like that one a lot. I actually went to different churches. I tried out different churches. There was one church invited me to their adult Bible study, which was amazing and wonderful. And I felt, you know, taken seriously as a person of faith. Well, pretty soon I noticed, you know, I, things come to you slowly, that there were different translations of the Bible. And that those folks at that Bible study I went to, they had the right translation, which was King James Version. After a while, it occurred to me that the Bible was not written in modern English or Middle English or Old English. It was written in something else and that all of these were translations. It was written in Greek and Hebrew. The entire New Testament is written in Greek. Even Jewish writers, whose native language may have been Hebrew, wrote in Greek because it was the language of everyday people. And then in the late 300s, the Universal Church came together and looked at all these writings and established the canon, that list of books that are considered scripture, that were considered the inspired words of God. And those books we call the New Testament, our new witness to God. And as they were putting the Bible together, they also included the Old Testament, the old witness to God. These are the those Jewish writings that everyone in New Testament times would have referred to as scripture. These were the scriptures of Jesus and of the disciples. And the Old Testament that they used was the one that these early Christians used, which is a translation we call the Septuagint, 
It was a Greek translation. So it was Hebrew translated into Greek because Greek was the language of normal people. Scholars think this translation happened about the third or the second century BC, and it included several books that were probably originally written in Greek that were not translations at all. Now when I think about like what must have been like, you know, living in the year 300 or 380, and that the books of the Bible like weren't settled, you know, it was in flux. Are these writings included? Are they not? That there was a question. It makes me realize that I've always assumed that it's black and white. These books are scripture and these are not, you know, period. And knowing that there was a time of uncertainty, frankly, blows my mind. Well, about the same time that the canon was set, the church commissioned a translation into Latin because the language of average people was now Latin. And that translation is called the Vulgate. And that was, and it was a translation of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and that was the primary Bible for centuries, even after Latin was no longer the language of normal people. Well, then in the 16th century, our friend Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, which was the language of the normal people around him. And instead of translating from the Vulgate, from the Latin, you know, he was a pretty smart fellow. He knew several languages. And he knew that there is no such thing as an exact translation. How many here speak another language besides English? A few. So you know that you cannot exactly translate. You come really close, but there's nuance in meaning that's different. Well, Luther knew that. So instead of translating a translation, he wanted to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew. That's how our translations are done today. That's a good idea. So he had a, Jew, he had a Greek New Testament, but he didn't have a Hebrew Old Testament. And the only one he could find was from... Jewish sources at the time. And he looked at this Jewish Hebrew Bible and he noticed that it had seven books that were not in the Vulgate. And he thought to himself, those nasty Pappas, they added seven books. Well, Christians weren't the only ones that took a while to settle on exactly what was scripture. In the fourth century, the Jewish community also set their canon. And they uh, felt that only writings in Hebrew could be included. So those writings that were originally in Greek, they didn't include. There were seven books. As we've been talking about this sermon series and, you know, putting a little thing out on social media, we got a post on Facebook in response about this sermon series, Banned Books of the Bible. And this person said, there are no banned books. God gave us his word, exactly what he wanted us to have. There are many books written in the same time frame that are good books, but were never intended to be included in the Bible. And what we have is what God wanted us to have and to live by. The truth is, I think most of us are the same way. I mean, I think I have been for most of my life, 
The Bible is, this is what is in the Bible, and it's fixed. It doesn't change. We could do translations and we could talk about words, but we're not going to talk about books. Well, Luther did not have this hang-up. He was pretty comfortable throwing books out, as we talked about last week with the letter of James. Now we have these seven books of the Old Testament that were not in the Hebrew, but were in the Vulgate. And they included some ideas that Luther was opposed to, like purgatory and like praying for the dead. And as we know, Luther was pretty comfortable just getting rid of books of the Bible that he didn't agree with. And so, when Luther translated the Old Testament, he took those seven books out and put them after the Old Testament and called them the Apocrypha, which means not scripture. Today we call those books Deuterocanonical, which means second canon. And those books are Tobit, Judith, Baruch, Sirach, 1 Maccabees, 2 Maccabees, and Wisdom. And Luther's book banning stuck. If you look at our Bibles, they don't include those books. The Protestant Bible has 39 books in the Old Testament, and the Catholic Bible has 46. It includes those seven books. Now, as much of you know, a theology geek as I am, and I'm sure that there are other theology geeks among us, at the end of the game, I mean, what does it matter? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons it matters to me, because I want to know. When Jesus was in the temple at 12 years old and his family couldn't find him for three days, and they found him in the temple talking to the scholars, and the scholars were amazed at his understanding of scripture, what scripture are we talking about? In the 25 times in the Gospels when Jesus says, as scripture says, I want to know what scripture we're talking about. When St. Paul said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and training in righteousness, I want to know, what scripture are we talking about? Was it only those books written in Hebrew? Did it also include those books written in Greek? those deuterocanonical books. Because it appears that Jesus actually quoted from some of those deuterocanonical books, or paraphrased, even in very important teaching. So Pat shared with us that reading from the Gospel of Matthew where we get the Lord's Prayer, that prayer that Jesus taught us, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sirach 23.4 O Lord, Father, and God of my life, do not give me haughty eyes. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 1 Maccabees 3.60 But his will in heaven may be, and so he will do. And forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. Sirach 28.2, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Now, I like to think of myself, you know, as an educated, contextual interpreter of scripture. 
I understand that the Bible was written by specific people with, with giftedness in cultures that are different from mine, with, you know, with specific ideas and specific struggles, and that they were written for an audience at a specific time in a specific culture with specific struggles. But the truth is I'm kind of a little bit more like that person who posted on Facebook. That God gave us the Bible just as God wanted, period. So it's a little disconcerting for me to hear all these people involved in putting it together and that there wasn't certainty. That God used people to create the Bible. God used human beings, their hands, their writing, their gift of composing, their ability to take religious experience and put it into words that even to this day resonate with our hearts. And God used people to compile the Bible, to discern what is scripture, what is the inspired word of God, what is not included? God used people, and it wasn't black and white. It's a reminder that as important as the Bible is, the Bible is not God. Our faith isn't in the Bible. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We are not followers of the Bible. We are followers of Jesus, and our goal is, is to be one with God. And that's what makes the Bible important. Because the Bible points us to God. John Wesley understood this distinction well in what we now call the Wesley Quadrilateral. And he said there are four ways that we come to know God. Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Scripture is very important, but all of these are about coming to know God. Those, those experiences we have, those faith movements when our hearts are strangely warmed, that is how we come to know God. In the experience of each other, in the reason of, 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 of thinking through our scriptures and being thoughtful in our scholarship, and of our tradition, our traditions that we carry with us like lighting candles and like gathering and doing worship in a certain way. All of these are ways that we come to know God. God worked through human people to write the Bible. God worked through human people to discern what was in the Bible. And if God worked through people to do something as important as the Bible, how else does God use us? How else does God work through us? The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. God has been transforming the world through faithful disciples, and God goes on transforming the world through faithful disciples today. On Tuesday, our hearts were broken 
with news of another school shooting. 21 people died in a tragedy that we have become used to. And so for open space today, we need to lament this new heartache that is part of an old heartache. We need to join our hearts with the families and the, the folks who are grieving. And we need to offer our hands to God, to God who transforms the world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are the author of life. And death in mass shootings breaks your heart as it breaks ours. Lord, we pray for your strong awareness of the ways that you are transforming this world, of the way you are calling all of us to peace, and the way that you are asking us to be part of your mission. Lord, we ask for your comfort, we ask for your healing, and we ask for your holy urgency that unites us with you in discipleship. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat>